Um, okay, let's get to Romans 9 and um, see if we can't uh, make some sense out of it. Um, um, I can tell you this, Shane and Andrea, um, we have loved the ministry. Uh, it was some scary early months. Uh, the ministry has been wonderful for us. We've never regretted it. We've never regretted leaving the corporate world. We've loved what we've done. It has been good for us. It's been good for our marriage. It's been good for our family. It's been good for our children. Um, we wouldn't trade it for anything. For those of you who don't know, these, this little couple right here is headed off to seminary um, come May, right? May, June, July. So and they're, you know, they're, they're scared like we were scared. You know, how do you... Where do you live? What do you do? Where are you going to work? You know, it's all those things. And just, I mean, just it, this is such a reminder of that period in our lives that was, that was so scary. And yet, um, God was so richly faithful. Okay, we're in Romans chapter 9. And we're, uh, we're going to take a half of a verse and then a whole verse. So um, we're really going to go fast tonight. Um, we're in the, we're, I'll start reading at verse 19, and we'll read through verse 22. Romans 9, 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? That's as far as we'll go. We're going to go back to verse 20, and then we'll cover, Lord willing, verse 21, and be done for the night. But you may recall, I mean, last week I was not with you. I, I had to go to a funeral in, uh, in a place that I didn't know existed. Um, but anyway, I went to a funeral last week, and I was not here with you. But the week before that, we looked at that first half of verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? You might remember. Um, and, and I tried to point out that Paul begins his argument by rebuking the questioner. Um, and, and tries to say, you know, even the way the question is being asked is, is inappropriate. Now, guys, um, I wanted to add this to that real quickly. That is not to say that asking a question is wrong. Uh, that is, uh, anybody asking a question is going to get lambasted by the Apostle Paul. No, guys. Um, Honest questions desire, de demand honest answers. But you can, you can sense in this questioner that there was more there. And you know, guys, uh, you know, I'm 59 years old, and I can, when people have honest questions, I, you know, I turn myself inside out for them. I'm eager to try and do my best to answer their questions. But those who are troublemakers, um, that is a different story. And that's what I think Paul is addressing here. Uh, a person who comes with a, with a spirit of antagonism and contentiousness, and he says, who are you, old man? And, and I spent two weeks ago the whole time saying, um, you know, you've you got to remember when you're reading this book, you're not reading Shakespeare. This is not Sports Illustrated. We're, we're studying. Um, we're studying that which is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. And so you come to that differently. You want to critique Shakespeare? Go right ahead. And, 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 and I'm, not just, I'm not saying you shouldn't critique this, but we critique it in an altogether different spirit. I remember R.C. Sproul saying something like, you know, I wish we would 
all stop our questions, take our guns that we have pointed at this book, and just for six months, just six months, take all the guns and point them towards us. Read this book and let it critique us instead of us critiquing it. Just for six months. And see the, the changes that might be wrought. But just wanted to get you started by reminding you there is a, there is a right and wrong way to, to approach the study of this book. Questioners are not bad. Troublemakers are. Anyway, uh, so... He starts off by reminding them of their smallness. Who are you, a man, to answer back to God? You know, And um, he then tells them that they are nothing but the thing formed. Now, you remember, I, I, I wrote that word up here last time we were together. Um, the, the, the Greek word is um, plasma. You know, we get uh, a very familiar English word, plasma, but we also get plastic from that word. So the image that the Apostle Paul has in mind is uh, a piece of plastic speaking back to the one molding the piece of plastic. Look at the text, guys. It, I mean, um, uh, it says, will what is molded say to its molder? Will the piece of plastic say to the plastic former or the plastic uh, molder? Why have you made me like this? The plastic does not say to the plastic molder, What are you up to? Why did you make me like this? Could there be anything more absurd than plastic speaking back to the plastic former or molder? But ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly the position of folks who come to verse 13 and say, I don't like this. Verse 13, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And they come to that text and they say, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't like that. On what grounds do you do such a thing, God? I mean, uh, oh God, this is plastic talking, and I'm speaking to the plastic molder, and, and what do you think you're doing making somebody like, I don't like that, that business that you just say there. And so Paul says, does the plastic... Does the thing molded speak to the molder? How absolutely absurd. Unthinkable. But ladies and gentlemen, that is the position of those who want to quibble with verse 13 and elsewhere in this text. But Now guys, you need to understand, um, again, Paul is simply quoting from the Old Testament here. Uh, uh, this is an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 45. We're going to look at one in just a minute. But Paul, in this argument, is quoting Old Testament. Um, this is not particularly Pauline. And there are those who would suggest, well, you know, that stuff that you teach about election up there, that, you know, that's, only, that's only an Apostle Paul. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. He's quoting the Old Testament this is nothing new. Um, I, I, in my preparation for tonight, I, I read uh, in one commentary where, and the, the author of the commentary quotes um, something that he heard take place. A pastor gets in his pulpit. He says, I'm quoting exactly. He says, a pastor, in fact, it's on that little sheet right there. Um, I'm quoting exactly that the, the pastor stands in his pulpit and he says, I can't wait to get to heaven. 
because I'm going to take Apostle Paul aside and I'm going to straighten him out because he was obviously real wrong about this. Guys, do you see what that says? I mean, what a low view of this book that is. I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to straighten Paul out. That's the spirit of the age, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to, I'm going to tell Paul a thing or two. Well, let me just say this. Whoever that, young, that man is, he's not only going to have to straighten Paul out, he's going to have to straighten Jeremiah out. And after he gets through with Paul and Jeremiah, he's going to have to speak to Isaiah. Because Paul is quoting Isaiah. He's simply giving you the argument found in the Old Testament. And then that argument unfolds in verse 21 when he says, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? Now, guys, in my humble opinion, (laughs) um, that verse is devastating. (laughs) Just absolutely devastating to the... uh, the view of the Arminian. For me, and, and I think if, I hope for you, it closes all the doors of escape to those who, who simply will not allow God to do such a thing. That is, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and they say, oh, no, you won't. Well, here's a statement that I think closes all the doors of escape for those who don't like this idea. Guys, in verse 22, the image is this. Look at it. What, uh, excuse me, verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay? Now, break it down. The potter is who? God. The clay is mankind. Um, now, that's the image in verse 21. Now, again, as I said, Paul is drawing from the Old Testament, and I want you to see one of those places So if you've got your Bible still open, find the book of Isaiah. It's not hard to find. It's big. So just get back in the Old Testament and scrounge around and back there and you'll find it. Isaiah 45. Now this this is the passage from which Paul is quoting. But I want you to see it in its entirety because I'm telling you, it's just, it's just slam dunk, I guess. Um... It starts in verse 9. Look look in the middle of verse 9. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? See it in there? But notice how verse 9 starts. It starts like this. Woe. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Do you see how it starts? God says through Isaiah, woe to the man who quibbles about what the potter does. And that's exactly what the Arminian is doing. Um, Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Do you see that? That's almost comical. The the, the pot saying, hey, you didn't make any handles, Mr. Potter. It's absurd. Yes, it is absurd. It's absurd to tell the potter how to make his, to do his business. But read on one more verse. Uh, look at verse 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come 
Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? <laughs> you who struggle with this whole idea of Jacob I loved and Esau I've hated, will you command me? Will you? Then, then the word for you... No, let me, let me, this is, I, I, I thought of this, this is my own little, uh, my own little effort at being cute. Um, um, will you command me? Whoa. No, no. Whoa. That's my cuteness right there. Uh, I, I know y'all didn't see it, so I had to point it out to you. <laughs> Do you see how the text starts, ladies and gentlemen? Not, whoa, stop. Or, whoa, that's big. No. Whoa. Woe to anyone. Woe to any pot who would attempt to command the potter. Um... It's, it's the thing being formed, quibbling with the former, with the molder. Um, guys, you don't need to turn to this. Just, let me, I'm just going to read you. This is, uh, this, is, this is to be the right posture. And I'm going to show you one other. Uh, this, is the, this is the right posture. It's, it's also in Isaiah chapter um, 64, verse 8. It says, but now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, that, that's Isaiah 64, uh, in case you want. But here's, 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 a, here's an instance where the, where the clay says, oh, Father, <laughs> I'm, I'm clay. You're the molder. I love you. Whereas there's another approach to that that says, I need you to explain yourself to me. What do you think you're doing? I mean, on what basis do you make that, that decision, huh? I just want, I want to hear about it. And by the way, when I get to heaven, I'm going to straighten all, all, all y'all out. Do you see how woe-deserving that is? That's what it is, guys. It's woe-deserving. It demands a, a hearty to the man who would think to command me. Guys, that's the argument. That's the argument. That's why I said to me, it closes all doors of escape. It, it, again, Paul's argument is drawn from that passage in Isaiah 49. That's where he got it. And so what is Paul doing? He's simply taking words that God gave to Isaiah, putting him in the book of Romans. This is not Pauline. This is not New Testament. It's just this is the Old Testament and this is New Testament. And those who quibble, the text says, I want you to say it one more time. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, this is in Jeremiah 18. But remember the, the preacher that says he's going to go to heaven and straighten Paul out. 
But I'm just telling you, he's going to have a long, he's going to have some big arguments with Paul and Isaiah and Jeremiah. Because Paul didn't originate this, guys. Um, actually, Paul didn't originate anything. He simply systematized it. Now, this is in Jeremiah 18. I'm going to read you six verses here. I think we have time. Um, one through six. Jeremiah 18, one through six. Guys, it's the same image. I'm just showing it to you again. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he, wor- he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good <laughs> to the potter to do. Now, guys, I, you know, I've got all kinds of degrees, but it doesn't take any of those degrees to understand that. God comes to Jeremiah, and he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. You know that a potter's house where he makes pots? Go on down there. I just, I just want to teach you a couple of things. And so he goes down there and he says, hmm, look at there. There's the potter doing something as it seemed good to the potter to do. Here's the lesson. I'll read you just two more. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Is that hard to understand? It really isn't, guys. It's not hard to understand. Now, is it hard? Yeah. I mean, is it hard truth? Yeah. But is it hard to understand? No. I mean, you've got to work to sidestep this. You've got you to work hard to... To come up with a, a solution to get around it. Because it's pretty simple. And what Paul is doing in Romans 9 is simply using what is taught by God to Old Testament prophets and picking it up and making his argument and landing it and sending it to the church at Rome. There's nothing new in Romans 9. This is not the only place you find this stuff, is what I'm saying. Now, a couple other things and we're quit. But um, I want you to go back to uh, Romans 9, if you've still got your finger there. I want to show you one thing in verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay? Now, um, uh, does anybody have a King James Bible in here? The, you know, the 1611 King James? Anybody got one of those? Have we all just dispensed with poor old King James? Poor guy. All right. Um, uh, in, in, in that verse, 21, does anybody have a different version than what I just read? I mean, uh, different words than what... Let me, let me read this again. Uh, has the potter no right over the clay? Anybody got different words for that? Yeah. What? Pa- what did you say, Gail? Ah, see, the King James uses the word power. That's what... Uh, but in some of these other translations, obviously, do too. Now, my translation, it says, does he not have the right? Now, guys... Um, there's confusion because I think of the misuse of a word. Does, does God have no power? Does God have no right? You see, those are different words, aren't they? Um, the, the word that is found in verse 21 is that one. Exousia. That's a, yeah, that's right. Exousia. Bless you. Um, this is... It's a combination of a, of a preposition which means out of, 
and ousia, which is a, it's a kind of a derivative of a term that means being. Um, gang, the, the, the most often this word is translated authority. But it's used right here in, in, in verse 21. It says, has the potter no exousia? This is not a question of power. That is, as if we were referring to his might or his omnipotence. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you why I know I'm right. Look at verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power? You see that word? It's a different Greek word than this one, guys. It is dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. In verse 22, you get the word dunamis, and it's talking about power. If God wanted to demonstrate his power, that's 22. But in 21, the Greek word is exousia. It's not dunamis. And exousia has to do with Authority, out of being. Something that derives out of being. Something that is true to, in line with, a part of my very existence. Does God have exousia? That's verse 21. Not does he have might or power or strength or, or, or omnipotence. No, no, no. Does he have the right. Guys, that's huge. Because I'm telling you to reject all this because it's hard is to end you up in a place where you look at God and you say to Him, you do not have the right. That's what you do. Can God have mercy on whom he has mercy? No. You don't have the right. That's my point. Um, the question of verse 21 is not about the extent of God's power. It's about the extent of His rights. Guys, um, what you have in, this, in these texts, that is, the half of 20 and 21, uh, well, actually just 21, what you have is a picture of fallen humanity. Fallen humanity that is like a lump of clay which is already there, with all of its impurities. You know, clay is lots just filled with impurities. You have this lump that is already there. It doesn't say he was created. That's for some of you. It wasn't created, but he takes this lump, this piece of fallen humanity, and God does with the lump As he sees fit. He makes one pot 
for honorable use. And he makes another pot for dishonorable use. Now, does he have that right? That's what Paul is asking you to answer. i got one more thing to say, but I just want you to... Guys, verse 13, chapter 9, verse 13. That's just an example of it. He took the lump and he made part of it a a piece of honorable use. His name was Jacob. And he made another part of it a dishonorable use. His name was Esau. That's what he did. Paul is explaining it. And the question before the house is, does he have that right? Um, you know, guys, we scream bloody murder when someone likes when someone tries to limit our rights to you know, subtract from our civil rights and, and tamper with the extent of our rights and I mean, we, we will not stand for that when somebody, you know, takes some of my rights. <laughs> and yet, we are willing, that is, some are willing. I don't know that any of them are in this room, but, but there are some who are willing to limit God's rights and to tamper with His and don't seem to have any conscience about it. I mean, I know of a pastor who stood in his pulpit and said, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to spend some time with the Apostle I just need 30 minutes with him. I just need about 30 minutes. I'm going to straighten out my way out. And I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him God doesn't have that right. Well, the argument before you uh, off of the pen of the Apostle Paul centers upon this question. Does he have the right? Not, not, not does he have the power. Does he have exousia? Not dunamis. Does he? Answer that, and you're on your way in terms of getting more comfortable with the hard truths contained in Romans 9. Let's quit. Uh, I do pray that you will um, give us a delight in your word, but not because we're we're master students of a book, but because this word does nothing, this book does nothing but expose and teach us about the God of the book. It tells us of the wonder and the majesty of a God who is who has sovereignly committed himself to his people. And thus we are safe. That we will never be forsaken. That you will never leave us. Not because we have merited your continuation. But you will not desert us because you refuse not to love us. All according the counsel of your own will. 
we bend our will beneath that, O oh God, and find it our pleasure and delight to do so. We do it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good nights.